to this lesson four of the Way, the Truth, and the Life Bible study. Uh, last time we got together, I always like to do a really quick recap. Last time we got together, we looked at the foundational theme of salvation. And that foundational theme of salvation is grace, faith, and obedience. Now, we saw this theme in the lives of Cain and Abel. And when God called Noah to build the ark, we also saw the same theme. Scripture clearly stated and states that faith without works is dead being alone. We cannot just say we believe something and then skip obedience and believe that that's enough for salvation because we don't see that scripturally. And so this leads us into our lesson today. Why are we called to obedience? What is the big deal? I mean, is it that huge of a thing, obedience? Is God just some power-hungry Savior who wants to see if he can control us? Well, before we can talk specifically about what God's plan is for our salvation, let's first take a little, little bit of a look as why he has a specific plan for salvation. We're going to cover the what soon, but what about the why? So to our, our, if I could put a title on tonight's lesson, today's lesson, it is the role of covenant. As always, if you have any questions, we will do our very best to answer those questions. You can email us at the email address on your screen, info at refugechurchonline.com. Before we start, always like to say a prayer. Let's do that. Jesus, thank you so much. Every, every time we get together, I thank you for your word, because without your word, we wouldn't just not only have this study of, of the Bible, but also even knowing how to live our lives uh, day in and day out, and what your plan is for us. And, and so I'm, I'm just so thankful for your word. I'm thankful for People who will be watching this, not only live, but maybe later, even years down the road. Lord, let your word continue to come to, to life for them, Lord, in their situation. In Jesus' name, amen. So last lesson, we ended by mentioning that Noah and his family had come off the ark after a worldwide flood. And in Genesis 9, the Bible says that God told, he, he spoke to Noah and said to spread out, to multiply, to replenish the earth. And so... Only about 130 years pass, and humankind is already slipping back into a negative pattern, just as Adam and Eve, Cain, and humanity around the time of Noah, they were being selfish and, and had selfish desires and pride and sin, so much, in fact, that they decided, we are going to build a tower to heaven and reach to heaven. And you, if you remember Adam and Eve, it, the, the devil said, you could be like the Lord, and, uh, and so that pride rose up in humanity again, and it still tends to do that in our lives if we're not careful. But uh, Genesis 11 tells us about this tower. It says the whole earth was of one language and one speech. Could you imagine that? All of us speaking the same exact language. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, and they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. Let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad on the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, behold, the people is one. They have all one language and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagine to do. Imagine what we could do for this world if we bound together. Even God says there's so much power in unity. Even when it's outside of his will, God still recognized the power of human will when we 
when we bind together in unity. But here they are speaking the same, same language. They want to build a tower to heaven, make a name for themselves, and they didn't want to be scattered abroad across the earth, which is exactly what God wanted them to do. He says, multiply, replenish the earth. And uh, so now we read in verse 7, it says, go to, let us go down and confound their language that they may not be able to understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon all the face of the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore, the name of the place is called Babel, even today. Oh, they're just babbling. Think about that. It, the name is called Babylon. It, Babylon. it says, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of the earth. And so the language, I mean, you imagine trying to work on a project. Hey, can you hand me the hammer? And somebody starts speaking a completely different language to you when you were just speaking the same language the day before. Based on scripture, that's the way I understand it, that, that, that they're just on this job site working, and God introduces cultures, languages, and they would not remove themselves and, and replenish the earth. So God introduces these multiple languages here in this place of the Middle East. This is the first biblical reference that we have to multiple languages, and it's the earliest that we can trace nationalities and cultures. But if God was going to choose, if he starts cultures here, if he's going to just choose one of those cultures, why is that? Because the Bible says that he loves everyone. He loves all of us, male, female, old, young, every nationality, every culture. And so how would he choose one nationality, one culture, one line of people, and why? Well, let's look at this. God had a relationship with humanity even before this time. But now he was going to establish something even deeper than just an average relationship. For those of you who are married, you might understand this concept well. It's the concept of covenant. Now, you may see a picture on your screen. When someone's dating a person, they're developing a relationship with that person. There might be an official time that dating began. You might be able to even, oh, it was so romantic. We were over here at this restaurant. We were by the water. We were on a walk, whatever. You might remember it, but in American culture, at least, you may be watching this in another country, but in American culture, they're usually not vows. Vows are not exchanged at the initial stages of a relationship. Vows are typically something that are held for a later time when a, a man and a woman get married. At that point, a man and woman will typically stand before maybe a minister and commit vows to one another. They'll say, oh, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. And then, you know, as newlyweds, you sometimes chuckle when you say, all my worldly goods to thee I endow. And at that point, when you just get married, most of us don't have anything anyway, so that people just laugh. But the process of exchanging vows is something we might call a covenant. A covenant is similar also to a business agreement that it includes maybe legal ramifications. The marriage covenant, though, it didn't start in an American courtroom. or It started, it started when God created humanity and he created marriage. And it's pretty interesting that God also calls the church his bride. We're the bride of Christ. But there were also spiritual covenants that God initiated between himself and humankind. That in itself, though, that in itself shows the love and grace and mercy of God. Our creator was never obligated to, to, to make himself, to force himself to be in a deal with his own creation. The creator owes the creation nothing. 
but yet he chooses to enter into a, to a mutual agreement. He loved us enough to say, I'm going to align myself as the God of the universe with the parameters of this covenant. So God reaches out and he calls specifically to a man named Abram, who later has his name changed to Abraham. I'm going to try and call him Abram until the name gets changed to Abraham, but I'm more used to Abraham, so if Abraham slips out, forgive me. But Genesis 12, it says, the Lord said to Abram, get thee out of thy country from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee, make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. Again, grace, faith, obedience, that obedience there. He did what God asked him to do. Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Now God calls Abram to not just believe him. He says, Step out and obey. Step out and, and, and take a drastic step of faith in your life. Abram's called to leave the pagan gods that his family most likely worshipped at that time. And he enters into a journey of faith. Anytime God calls you into something, you're now in a journey of faith. I wish that I could sit here and you're watching and I could say, hey, let me prove God to you, boom, 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 and, and I can do it. But we learned about in lesson one, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Faith is what pleases God. So God calls us on this journey of faith on purpose. And God never shares the entire roadmap. I wish he would. I wish right now I could say, God, here's my phone. Can you just text me right now? But that's not the way that he works. I wish he did at times, but he will take us through things to develop our faith. And just like lifting weights, I know... Uh, I, you can tell, hopefully, not too much, but I don't lift a, a ton of weights. But, but lifting weights, resistance builds strength. And so God says, hey, Abram, move from the area that you... Could you imagine loading up a moving truck right now? Could you imagine that your family or your neighbors are looking, and here's your moving truck, and it's filled up, and your neighbors walk over and go, hey, wow, where are you moving to? Um, I don't know. Well, you've got the moving truck filled up, but yeah, God told me to do that. Well, where is he taking you? I'm not sure he's going to show me at some point. People would think that you were crazy. They would think you lost your mind. But God tells Abram, hey, and sometimes going on a journey of faith, it does seem crazy at times. God, God, God told Abram that, that he didn't want to also bless him personally. He says, he says, Abram, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless an entire nation through you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless an entire world through you. Look at, and so what did Abram do? Genesis 15, 6 says, he believed in the Lord and it counted it to him for righteousness. Believed on the Lord, there is a, it's an unqualified committal of oneself. It's, I'm jumping into this. I am wholeheartedly believing this. And when you wholeheartedly believe something, your actions align with it in obedience. And so just because God had a plan doesn't mean that the plan, was, it wasn't carried out yet. God's plan was going to be dictated by Abraham's faith and his response to the, to the invitation to be a part of the plan. And so interesting point, the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis cover about 2,000 years of human existence. 
Now the Bible spends about 14 chapters just on this man, Abram. There's a lot to be learned from him. And one of the most key and crucial elements is the important foundation of covenant. Sure, God probably had a covenant with Noah and he had covenants with Abraham, Adam and Eve, but the, the foundation of covenant is solidified and clarified in the Bible through this man, Abram, who eventually becomes Abraham. I wish I could say Abraham, oh man, he left his father's house, he went on this faith journey, never failed, never faltered, but you know what? That wasn't the case. He's kind of a little bit like you and I. We start a journey of faith, but we, we, we tend to mess up along the way, don't we? I know I do. And so Abram, he did things. He traveled through Egypt and lied to the Egyptian leader about his wife being his sister, and he, he got afraid about God uh, taking care of him in, in certain circumstances. He tried to take certain matters into his own hands. And so he responded to God, but God still had to work on him along his journey. I, for one, am thankful that God doesn't stop. He doesn't stop working on us when we're on our journey. Now, the Lord promised Abram. He had not changed his name yet, so I'm still doing well there. He said, you're going to have many children. He, at one point, he says, like the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea, Abram and Sarai, Sarai was his wife. She's going to have her name changed to Sarah here in a minute. But they couldn't have children. Now, imagine being in your 80s and 90s. If you're in your 80s and 90s, I respect you. You've lived a long, full life, but you're, you're probably not watching this in your 80s and 90s thinking about the next child you want to have. So Abram and Sarai, they're, they're like, okay, God, you called us out of here in 75, said we're going to have a great nation, and, and here we are, we're getting older, and uh, I don't know when and how this is going to happen. And so Genesis 15, 2, Abram says to the Lord God, you know, he's going to help God out. He says, all right, hey, you know, I know you, you kind of gave me this invitation into, into this covenant, this relationship about things you were going to do, but I'm childless, and so I have a steward in my house. Is, is the person going to be Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, behold, thou hast given me no seed, so I'm maybe, you know, obviously, maybe that's the guy. He says, no one's born in my house as my heir. Behold, the, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this shall not be thine heir, but, that should, uh, but he that shall come forth out of thy own bowels should be thy heir. And he brought him forth, and that's where he says, look at the stars, if you be able to number them. And imagine being able to number the stars back then without pollution like we have today. And he says, so shall thy seed be. Now, this guy is going, uh, I'm, I'm an older guy, are you sure here? Looking up at the stars. Of course, God, though. He never moves as fast as we want because, let's face it, if God lays something on our heart, like God said something to me, I'm like, where is it? All right, okay, I've been waiting for five minutes now. Where, where is that promise? That's the way we are. So Abram, you know, he, he's the same way. Abram and Sarai, they take matters in their own hands. In Genesis 16, Sarai, Abram's wife, bear him no children. She had a handmaid, though, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. So Sarai, she gets a good idea. She says to Abram, hey, you know what? God's restrained me from giving you children. Go into my maid. Sleep with Hagar so that we can have children through her. And so Abram hearkened to the voice of his wife. I mean, does this sound like a good idea to anyone? Your wife is saying, go sleep with that lady. And he goes, uh, okay. Like, this, there should be some... Flashes of mayday, mayday, warning. This isn't a good idea. So Sarah, Abram's wife, 
she, she took Hagar, her maid, the, the Egyptian, and, and Abra, Abram dwelt there in the land of 10 years, uh, in the land of Canaan, and, and gave her to husband Abram to be his wife. And, and he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And so now she has a, a child, and Sarai is very, very angry because her handmaid is able to give her husband something she couldn't give her him. That's not a good, this is not a good situation. Tension in the home. You think you've got tension in the home. This is tension. Genesis 16, 11, So the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, thou art with child, says this to Hagar, and says, You're going to call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard thy affliction. And Hagar, in verse 15, bare Abram a son, and Abram called his name, which Hagar bare, Ishmael. Abram was four score. Score in King James is 20, so that's four score. That's 80 years old and sick. So he's 86 years old. So remember, he left Haran at 75. You can say, oh, what a, I can't believe this guy. What a poor decision. But Abram, at this point, had been waiting 11 years with no kids, and he's starting to go, God, what's up with my promise? So although I don't put my stamp of approval on what he did, you can see why he was stressing a little. So he's 86 and has this child. And Ishmael, if you, if, to, to connect some dots here, Ishmael is the, is the father of modern-day Arab nations. Modern-day Palestinians, to this day, argued that Jerusalem is theirs. They say Abraham was their father, and guess what? That's true. He was. However, God promised that land specifically to Abraham and Sarah's child. Notice, Abram, at this point, Abram and Sarai are getting impatient, trying to help God out, and to this day, there is bloodshed and contention in the Middle East over that religious area of the Temple Mount and Jerusalem and all that to this day. And it goes all the way back to this decision that Abram Sarai made with Hagar. Three religions claim Abraham as their patriarch or, or founder, religious head, and that's Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Now, thank God, though, he's a faithful God, and he's full of grace and mercy because he reestablishes his covenant with Abram. Genesis 17, 15, And God said to Abraham, As far as Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah her name will be. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Whoa, really? That was always the plan. He says, I will bless her. She'll be a mother of nations. Kings and people shall be of her. So God changes their name and because a person was a reflection of their name. You know, it's not like American culture. And you get pregnant and you're like, hey, what should we name our kid? Oh, we should name her that name. Oh, oh no, my friend's got a name. Well, how about this name? No, no, I went to school with a girl that had a name. You know, we go back and forth. And then, so then we just Google it. And we talk, oh, top 100 names of whatever year you're in when you're watching this. And you choose, no, no, no. Oh, I like that one. So you circle it. That's not the way it was in the Bible. A, a, a name captured the essence of who that person was. So Sarai gets changed to Sarah. Sarah now means mother of nations, and that's exactly what she's going to be. Jesus means Jehovah is our salvation or has become our salvation. So names were everything in the Bible. But Genesis 17, 19, God says to Sarah, or God said, Sarah thy wife, he's speaking to Abraham, shall bear thee a son indeed. Thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my, what was that? My covenant with him. Abraham, it was with you, but I'm also going to establish my covenant with your son. Not, he didn't say this about, uh, about Ishmael. I'm going to establish my covenant with you and Sarah's son, Isaac. 
And it's not going to be a one-time deal. It's an everlasting covenant with his seed after him. And as far as Ishmael, I've heard thee. I've heard, I've heard thee. Behold, I've blessed him and made him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall beget, and I will make him a great nation. And guess what? That has happened. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac. Notice God is very clear. Listen, in my grace, I'm still going to bless Ishmael. I'm going to bless the Arab nations. And they have been blessed. But my covenant is between you and Sarah's son, Isaac. Which Sarah will bear to thee at this set time next year. God senses, you know, you guys are so impatient. Let me just tell you, it's going to be at this time next year. And so God was still going to bless Ishmael. He has, but the covenant was Isaac. This was not just about a plan, blessing, salvation, future, a nation. It was about covenant. It was God binding himself in a legal deal with humanity. Didn't have to do it, but he chose to do it. So yes, God says, I'm going to bless Ishmael, but my covenant's Isaac. Covenant was everything to God. He was and is a God of covenant. In our latest, in our next lesson, we're actually going to look at how probably the most important piece of furniture in Israel's history, a place where God says, I'm going to dwell among the wings of the angels, the cherubim, and there's a mercy seat in there, and they would pour the blood from the animal sacrifice on the mercy seat. That piece of furniture was called the ark, not of the ark of blessing, not the ark of dedication, not the ark of doctrine, not the ark of worship. It was the ark of covenant because we serve a covenant God. Not just them serving it, we still serve a covenant God. And so God's parameters of his covenant, they may not always make perfect sense. Let's look back at what God asked Abraham to do as a man in his 90s. Genesis 17, 9, God said to Abraham, thou shalt keep my covenant. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overemphasize that word so you see how many times it's just in this one passage. Therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generation. Notice it was an everlasting covenant, not just for you, Abraham, not just for Isaac, but for all of this, all of the generations. I'm, I'm making a deal right now. You're going to be my chosen people. This is what Israel is. Now sit tight. This is my covenant, verse 10, which you shall keep between me and you, thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. It shall be a token. A, that's the token. That's kind of like the down payment of the business deal, right? You do your part, I'm going to do my part. He says, it's going to be the token of the covenant between me and you. And he that's eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man child in your generations, he that's born in the house, bought with money, a stranger, anybody that's living with you, traveling with you, every single male child, every man has to be circumcised. It was obey or no deal. I don't care how great you think the covenant is, that's God's grace. You say, oh, I believe in the covenant, that's fine. You don't obey, there's no covenant. And so, uh, verse 13, he that's born in the house, he says, uh, and he that is bought with money must needs be circumcised. My covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that person's cut off from my people. He hath broken my covenant. 
People say, oh, the Bible's sometimes hard to understand. There's nothing hard to understand. If you want to be a part of God's covenant, there was things that you had to do. Well, guess what? Fast forward to today, you want to be a part of God's covenant, there's still things you have to do. Whoa, 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 that's a little personal circumcision. Well, no, I'm not just talking about that. Now God talks about a spiritual circumcision, one that is made without hands. Now, how in the world, what are we talking about made without hands? Well, we're going to look at that. But first, look what Abraham does in Genesis 17. Abraham did exactly what God told him to do. Why? Abraham wanted to be a part of covenant. Genesis 17, 23, Abraham took Ishmael, all that were born in his house, all that were bought with money, every male among the men. The writer here is letting us know, most likely Moses, is letting us know Abraham did exactly what God asked him to do. And Abraham was 99 years old. Ah, getting circumcised at 99? But if you want to be a part of my covenant, this is what I'm asking you to do. But circumcision might have seemed a bit odd for the covenant. But like I said, God always has a plan. So today, it's circumcision is done without surgical instruments. Because I'm not talking about the physical procedure. Colossians 2, 11 and 12 in the New Living Translation, just for ease of understanding. When you came to Christ, Paul writes to the church. The Colossian church, and he says... When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, huh? But not a physical procedure, Paul says. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature, because they viewed the foreskin as being something unclean, dirty, filthy. So you cut that off, and that was, oh, hey, now I'm made clean, and it was, a, it was imprinted in the body. Now we go to the New Testament, and Paul says, hey, you know what? To be a part of covenant, it's not a, it's not a physical procedure anymore. When you are, when it's the cutting away of sinful nature. Well, when does that happen? Paul clarifies in verse 12. For you were, he's speaking about this specifically, water baptism. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Notice, he's saying just as the unclean foreskin was taken away and it was part of covenant, now sin is washed away in the waters of baptism, buried with him in baptism, and now the sinful nature is cut away. So we still enter covenant through water baptism. And we're going to talk all about water baptism later, but I just wanted you to see that connection there. But look at Galatians 3.27. Paul also says, For as many of you has been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So follow me. I got baptized. Spiritual sinful things cut away. Now I've put on Christ. Two verses later, he says, And if you're Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise? Wow, I'm not a Jewish person. But guess what? In the New Testament, it's not just following procedures anymore. Now, when I take on that wonderful name of Jesus, all these beautiful commitments and covenant and all this list of covenant that God says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. I'm going to curse and curse you, bless and bless you. All nations of the earth will be blessed. I have access to that now because it says here, hey, you took on Christ, you were buried in the waters of baptism, you're now heirs to the same promises as Abraham. And we too now can be in covenant relationship. But like I say, baptism, we're going to talk all about that later. But the greatest test, the last thing that we will cover today in Abraham's journey, the greatest test of his faith, although it took faith to leave his father's house, it took faith 
how are you going to provide for me, Lord? It took faith about the, the promise of a child. It took faith about circumcision. It took all this faith. But, the, but, but, but this was the greatest test of his faith. Because remember, Abraham and Sarah had been waiting at least 25 years. We don't like waiting 25 minutes. Could you imagine God speaks to you and you have to wait for 25 years before you see that come to fruition? So they're waiting 25 years. Abraham's 100 and Sarah is 90 and they finally have the child of promise. You talk about being a little protective. I mean, they're like, hey, get out of the tree. Don't climb the tree. No, get over here. Like, that's my only kid. I'm 100 years old. I've been waiting 25 years for this kid. No, you're not getting a bike. You're not getting a bike. Like, you're going to walk. I mean, imagine how, how, how overprotective they may have been. And here they're holding this child. This child starts growing and and and. All of a sudden, now of this, Genesis 22, verse 2, it says, God says, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him for a burnt offering on the mountain that I will tell thee of. Excuse me? Uh, God. You, 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 you remember 25 years ago, you promised a great nation, and you talked about sands of sea and stars of sky, and remember, remember you, you, I think you're, you're asking me to, 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 to kill my son and offer him in worship? So Abraham rose up early in the morning. I do find it interesting. God tells him to leave his father's house, he leaves that same day. God tells him to get circumcised, he leaves that same day. God says, kill your only son Isaac in worship couldn't leave till the next morning. Was that one tougher? Or uh, did he just not want Sarah to know? Any mamas out there, your, dad, your, your husband says, hey, uh, God's really been dealing with me. It's time to offer our son. <laughs> Sarah would have been like, uh, no. Did he leave without Sarah knowing? We don't know. But he rose up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and two young men went with him, Isaac and his son, and claved the wood, and and uh, they went to the place God told them to go. And on the third day, Abraham lifts up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, you stay here with the donkey. I'm the lad and they're going to go. And, and look what he says. I'm the lad are going to go and worship and return and come again to you. That doesn't sound like worship to me, but Abraham knew if I'm getting ready to give up the most important thing on, plan on this planet in my life, you better believe that that was a form of worship. So Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering, laid upon his son Isaac, took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they both went, both of them together. Imagine this as a dad. If you're a dad out there, your son looking at you and says, my father, you know, dad. He says, here I am, son. Yeah, we got the fire and the wood, but where's the, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God, will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Now, you could read that in two ways. The Old Testament's filled with typology, meaning things in the Old Testament are types and shadows. They point to other things. Jesus refers to this. The apostles refer to this. Apostle Paul refers to this. It, it, it happens. He says, yeah, God's going to provide himself a lamb. But you could also read that as God will provide himself a lamb. If you missed that, God literally took on flesh. John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. He, he paid the price and shed blood for us. And we're going to talk more about that in the next few weeks. 
But this is where Abraham became the father of the faithful. Everything else led to this moment. Abraham wasn't ready for this when he left Haran. There's going to be things in your life you're not ready for yet, but each trial, each thing you go through, it builds your faith. When you come through the trial and you look back over your shoulder and see what God has brought you through, it builds faith. Abraham went through things that got him to this place where he said, wow, okay, God asked me to do it. I'm going to take my supposed child of promise and I'm going to offer him as a sacrifice. That seems crazy to us. We're reading that and going, this is insane. I would never do that. But you have to understand the culture of that time. Unfortunately, it's sick, it's wrong. But the culture of that time, it was normal in pagan cultures back then in ancient Near East literature and ancient Near East culture to offer your children as sacrifices to your pagan deities. Kids were sacrificed on a regular basis. Abraham thought that his God was different, but he was still willing to obey. He was willing to take the greatest treasure he had on the earth and put it on an altar and, and worship to God. But God never intended anyone to sacrifice their child. People that were doing that were serving false gods. God simply used this to test Abraham's faith and say, hey, are you putting all your faith in Isaac as the promise? Or will you put your faith in me that I am the one that made the promise and I will make the way? And so in verse 9, they came to the place where God had told them of and Abraham built an altar and he laid the wooden order, bound Isaac, his son. Imagine how tough that was. Laid him on the altar in the wood and Abraham stretched forth his hand, took the knife, was about to kill his son and the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and, and Abraham said, yes, here am I. He was waiting for that. And of course, he gets his son off the altar. Isaac becomes a critical point of God's covenant flowing through him. Abraham, Isaac, we're going to talk about Jacob next time. But as we wrap this up, they were on Mount Moriah. And every one of us, you watching, me, we will all, if you haven't already, at some point, you will face your own Mount Moriah. Thank God it's not child sacrifices or anything crazy like that. But you're going to be asked to give up something. Maybe God's going to deal with you about something. And you might come to a point where you have to choose between this and that. What God's asking, but what I'm comfortable doing or what I'm used to doing. And, and God may ask things that are sometimes contradictory. Let me challenge you by saying, standing strong for God will never, ever be let down. Always stand strong for God.